This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to the Heroes of HP12, the Wiccan Wanderers podcast powered by the fans. I'm Michael Kenny, joined as usual by Adam Cooper, Dan Clark, and Damien Farrar Hockley. Uh, lots to chat through this week. Uh, we need to talk about Tuesday night's madness and have a bit of a larger conversation about our worrying recent form. But before we get into all that, we're kicking off with a Q&A with legendary striker Simon Garner, who joined us to talk about his Hall of Fame-worthy career, as well as his memorable stint as a chairboy. What drew him to the club? What were his favourite memories in the quarters? And what did he really think of Alan Smith? Let's find out. Uh, Hi, Simon. Thank you for joining us on the pod today. Uh, You're back with a brand new book called One Last Shot, which is available to buy now at simongarnerbook.co.uk. This book is it's filled with insights and remarkable stories from your career, as well as contributions from the likes of Kenny Dalgleish and Martin O'Neill. Uh, It's been 21 years since the release of your first autobiography. Uh, What was the motivation behind writing this new one? And uh, how did it feel to sit down again and reflect on your career? Well, basically, Richard Slater, who wrote the first book, got in touch with me and said, it's 20 years since we did the first book. How about doing another one? I said, well, I'm up for it if you are. (laughs) Richard didn't have the time to do it, so he got uh, Dan Klopp in to write it. He rewrote the book and we got a lot more contributors to it. A lot of ex-players, ex-managers who I played under. Some were nice to me, some weren't. But uh, So I just went ahead with it and said, yeah, I'll be very pleased to do it. 21 years since the release of your last autobiography. I mean, had how does that make you feel? I mean, it's it's it, it's obviously been a while since uh, since your playing days, but did, did the memories still kind of come back to you feeling quite fresh? Yeah, well, it's 21 years. It's glad to be alive still after the first one. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, the memories do come back. I mean, and some things popped up again that I forgot about in the first book, so there's a few extra things in there. And um, it was great to do it with Dan and Richard in the background, so I really enjoyed doing it. 
And massive credits uh, to to your co-writers on on the new book as well. Um, I don't know if you know this, Simon, but it's actually uh, this year's a, a massive one for uh, for us Wick and Wanderers fans. Is it's uh, the thirtieth anniversary of our first ever season in the EFL. Now you were a massive part of that first campaign. You arrived just in time to help guide us uh, to the to the then second division um, at the first time of asking, obviously memorably beating uh, Preston North End at Wembley. Um, having already enjoyed an illustrious career with Blackburn, uh, that's a club where you remain comfortably the club's all-time highest goalscorer, as well as a stint at West Brom, what was the attraction to Wickham Wanderers? What, what made you want to swap the 30,000... Hawthorns for a tiny brand new stadium in the middle of the Bucks Hills? That's quite easy to answer. It's Martin O'Neill, the manager. Mm. He sold the club to me straight away. I mean, I had a chat with Martin. I'd looked up Wickham before I went to see him. I'd seen that they'd gone up and they looked a very well-organised football club. Uh, They had some good players there. And Martin sold the club to me straight away. It uh, took about 10 minutes for him to sell the club. We sorted everything out. We didn't talk about money or anything like that. He just sold the football club to me. I said, I want him with this. Was that was it a case when you were talking? Because obviously Martin, you know, had a had a similar kind of prolific career as well to your own. Did you have a pre-existing relationship prior to that phone call? No, not at all. I've never met Martin at all. Obviously, I've heard of him during his playing career at Forest. And um we had a phone call, then I came down to Wickham to talk to him. And he can talk, believe me, he went on for a long time. <laughs> but it, it was all good talk. It was nothing, he didn't lie about anything about, he had ideas for the football club. He didn't want to just sit in that division. He wanted to get out of that division. And at the time, there seemed to be, I'm not saying loads and loads of money behind him, but he was getting players in. And it was just a big project he had, and I just wanted to be part of it. I was coming towards the end of my career, I thought. I didn't want to finish. And then I just wanted to get on board with it and try and help him along the way. I'm not very often starstruck, but uh, but <laughs> growing up, I have I have really, really fond memories of, of yourself and the, the late, great Cyril Regis playing up front for us. And it's, uh, it's brought back some real good memories, doing a bit of... Uh, bit of digging on the internet and stuff. Um, I've seen some quotes that you made quite recently, actually, about Cyril saying he was right up there with the best that you played with. Um, Other than the fact that uh, he was older than you, so he made you feel like a young man, what were the the real big things um, that you liked about playing with Cyril? And, you know, did you know each other before? You just seemed to have this synergy on the pitch that was certainly unbeaten for a, for a Wickham strike partnership since and probably won't be seen again. But did you know each other? Do you think it was just, you know, two old school pros who knew the game really well and and sort of naturally gelled? Or was there a secret to it? No, there's no secret. I'd never met Sewell before. Obviously, I'd have heard of him. I'd never played against Sewell. Um, he came to the club, a breath of fresh air, down to earth, really nice chap. Um, yeah, part of it was he was a bit older than me, but we used to laugh and joke about that. <laughs> Although he was older, he was fitter than me, I must admit. Um, I know I've said he was one of the best, but looking back now, for his age and my age, I've got to say Sewell was the best I played with, definitely. 
I played with the only other one who came close was Mike Newell at Blackman. But Sewer Regis was a different class. And we just clicked straight away. Okay, we played at a higher level than what Wickham were playing at, but the players around us kept us going. I mean, we were both coming towards the end of our careers, but the players around us didn't do our running or anything like that for us. They just were great players who knew what to do with the football. The one thing that I really remember as a kid was like the the smiles on both of your faces. It seemed like you, you really genuinely enjoyed it. And I think the... The boys would agree with me when I say, you know, we've seen some some journeyman footballers who have who have played at a much much higher level, who have come to Wickham, who are perhaps, you know, on their way down, but also just looking for one last payout. I never got that impression from the two of you. It looked like you were genuinely enjoying it. It, you know, the way you went about it was was like you were twenty years younger than you actually were. Um, again, do you think that was just the relationship thing with Cyril? Um, it was a relationship with Sewell and the rest of the players. I mean, yeah. most of the players, not all of them, was younger than us, four or five years younger than me and Sewell. So they kept us young. But it, it's like I said before, when you're getting towards the end of your football career, you want it to last as long as you can and you want to enjoy it. And I think the longer you play and can keep playing, the more you do enjoy it. The memories that I have, like I say, the two of you, not even necessarily loads of goals. I think you scored the best disallowed goal ever um, <laughs> as well, Simon, at Wembley, didn't you? And I think you got booked for it. Um, I was onside. I was definitely onside for that. <laughs> I remember that to this day. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't run any further because I got cramped. So I thought, I'm just going <laughs> to hit. <laughs> they, they were kind of the memories that really stuck in my head. It wasn't necessarily the goals that both of you scored. It was the smiles. It was the laughs. It was the the sort of jovial attitude and really the the kind of last memory that I have of those proper like old school professional footballers. So it's great to watch. Yeah, and, and you've got to give Martin O'Neill a lot of credit for that. He knew we'd been around a long time. He he must have known we didn't have long left, but he stuck by us. And he and lots of football clubs would have looked at me and Sue Regis and gone, hang on a minute, they're past it now. But we did everything in training, he asked of us. Um, we respected Martin and if you respect your manager you'll play for your manager and enjoy your football and every day in training with Martin was enjoyable and even his team talks everything about the fellow was just really enjoyable uh, well, we've, we've spoken about Martin O'Neill I guess um, I guess the other end of the scale is uh, is a certain Mr Smith who, <laughs> uh, <laughs> who came in uh, do you want to go there <laughs> after him um now i again something else kind of off the pitch that i remember as a as a young wickham fan after smith had gone was uh was walking into the terrace and somebody had written on the items that were banned from the stadium alan smith um so that gives you an idea of uh of the legacy that he left at adams park um it'd be interesting just to know what it was like to um you know first of all work with him but secondly um, you know, your feelings around the way that you left the club. Um uh because you know, I know a lot of Wickham fans had had an awful lot of animosity towards Smithy and were absolutely gutted when you departed. So what went on there? You know, was it was it amicable? Was he a good coach that perhaps just didn't get on at Wickham or was um, he I wouldn't call him a good coach. We didn't really get on that well. Um he liked to hear himself speak, he liked to put his foot down and things like that, but 
Okay, he'd managed at Crystal Palace, and I'm going to guess if you was asking Ian Wright this same question, he said he he, he liked Alan Smith. Some players like managers, some don't. I didn't get on yeah. well with Alan Smith. Um, my my contract was coming up as soon as he sent me out to um, Torquay on loan. I more or less knew then that the writing was on the wall. I wouldn't yeah. be getting a new one. Um, I never wanted to leave Wickham. I was hoping I would get another contract. Um, but he didn't have the decency to even speak to me to say I wouldn't be getting a new contract. Um, I got a letter from the then secretary. It was John Reardon, I think he was called at the time. Yeah. <clears throat> Just sent me a letter saying your contract will not be renewed. And I, that really disappointed me, the way that not Wickham got rid of me, but the way the managers got rid of me, the way that Alan Smith did it. Um so that will always leave a bitter taste in my mouth. And uh, like I said, I didn't want to leave the football club. I thought I could have done at least another season there. Okay, I wasn't getting any younger. The legs, legs weren't what they used to be when I was younger. Even if I was part of the squad, I thought I could have contributed to the squad and helped some of the younger players who was coming through. But um, unfortunately, I didn't get the chance to do that. Uh, you've been uh, involved in quite a few promotions during your career. Do you have one that was a highlight or are they all just as good as each other? Um, the Wickham one, because I started the game and scored. <laughs> well, I we mean, like that one, certainly. No, I mean, I mean, when I started out football, I had plans of scoring goals, obviously. That's what I wanted to do. I'm not going to say I wanted to be the all-time leading goal scorer of Blackburn. Luckily, I got to be that. I wanted to score goals. I hoped to play in the first division in them days. It was the first division. Hoped to do that. And I wanted to play at Wembley and score at Wembley. And luckily enough, with Wickham Wanderers, I got the chance to do that and score a goal as well. And um, everybody says, when you play at Wembley, you should remember it. But it goes that quick and you do forget about it. But that day with Wickham, I do remember 80, 90% of that game of football. I mean... Somebody showed me a picture not long ago after I'd scored the goal. And I looked at it, and I looked at it twice, and I thought, I recognise that face. Somebody was supposed to be marking me, and it was David Moyes trying to keep up with me, and <laughs> yeah. he didn't. But no, like I say, favourite memories of Wembley is playing for Wickham. I played there before, um, but this time I said to myself, I'm going to take everything in. And I can remember everything about it. Dave Carroll's goal things like that, and the way we played. And I thought we was brilliant. And a press conference after, I mean, John Beck, the press manager, did. I had rumours he was going to try and sign me. Um, but obviously he had a reputation in football of playing the long ball game, let's put it like that, nicely, when he's manager at Cambridge. Whereas Martin was a breath of fresh air. We just played football all the time. And I remember being in the press conference afterwards and... Um, there's a question about uh, it was something to do with the style of football. And just as I started to talk about uh, John Beck and his long ball game, he walked into the back of the, of the press conference room and I just carried on saying at least the side who tried to play football won the game today and he didn't look too happy <laughs> with me that day. Playing against you on that day was a um, long-time Blackburn fan and our recently departed manager, Gareth Ainsworth, um, who... When we, Adam and I went to uh, see see an interview with him, and he basically cited you as one of his heroes. 
did you ever ever did you, have you, you keeping tabs on the club and did you see what what his management style was at Adam Park? Yeah, I mean, I spoke to Gareth a lot while he was manager at the club. Didn't get down to a lot of the games. I mean, my son runs a football team now. Um, but I didn't get a lot to the games. But every time I used to go down to that ground, he was all over me, Gareth was. I mean, and I, <laughs> I tell the truth, I, I wasn't all over him. But I, I used to go into some of the bars and he'd be doing the questions and answers and they'd ask me questions and answers. And I said they should just be really grateful and lucky for the job he did at the football club. And, well, at the time, the job he was doing at the football club. I mean, okay, some didn't like his style or whatever, but he took Wickham to places they've never been before. And his his enthusiasm for football is unreal. I mean, he's just laughing and not laughing, but smiling all the time. He's, He's never down. If he's losing football matches, he's never down. I spoke to him, last time I spoke to him was about four weeks ago. My son was in a bar somewhere in, I don't know where it was now, Reading Way, somewhere across there. And Gareth Ainsworth was in there. So I said to my son, get him on the phone. So it was on a Saturday afternoon, he was having a drink with his mates. And I had a really good chat with him. And he, he was just the same as ever. Oh, I love you, Simon. I love you, Simon. Blah, you're my hero. But I've always thought Gareth Ainsworth... Is up there with, well, he's got to be in the top three or four managers Wickham's had, I would say. We we certainly didn't mind his style of play. It got us to heights we've never met, got That's to right. before. So, mm. no, he's a brilliant lad. I've seen some. Uh, obviously, I've read the the first book. Seen some um, some little snippets of the second book. I'm not asking you to uh, to give any any secrets or any previews away because we want people to buy it at Christmas, right? But. Um, it seems to me, and I always get the feel when I'm looking at a Simon Garner book or I'm reading snippets from a book, that despite what you've achieved in your career and where you've played, that Wickham still holds a really, really, really nice place in your heart. Um, and, you know, for a club of our size to, to have attracted players like yourself and Cyril and, you know, later uh, people like Rob Lee and Lennon, and it, it, it was a pretty big thing at the time. What... What is it that makes Wickham Wanderers so special? Well, as I said before, Martin to start with. For me, it was Martin O'Neill to start with. Then it was the um, seeing them players come from non-league football and a lot of them were signing a professional contract for the first time in their football careers. They was playing part-time the season before. And yeah. people like... Glyn Creaser, who was 34, I think, 34, 35, gave up his job, which he had a steady job, I think it was at John Lewis, for a long, long time. And he just turned around and said, no, I'm going to be a professional footballer. And it, I think it lasted a season and a half. But he lived his dream. And all the lads there, no matter age, what age they were, were so enthusiastic and so excited about becoming a professional footballer. And they gave everything. And I think the fans could tell they gave everything as well. And they always got behind all the players, not just me. It was a lot of players there. They got behind them all the time. You very rarely heard the fans having a go at players. They never used to pick on players. They used to encourage the players because they they seemed to realise where they'd come from. They'd come from non-league and the pressing to to get promotion straight away in one season which is a massive achievement when you first go into that league. I know, all right, you've got your Wrexhams who spent loads of money and hoping to do it this season, but 
somebody like Wickham and the fans was always behind the players. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us today. One last question before we let you go. Um, it's, it's, it's probably a bit of a, a layered question, so bear with. But um, over the course of your career, uh, over 600 uh, appearances and over 190 goals that we know of anyway, um, this is hard, but I'm going to ask you to pinpoint what is your all-time favourite memory from your time in the beautiful game? And and off the back of that, what do you want to be remembered for by fans of Blackburn, of Wickham, or just fans of the game? Um, obviously, the, one of the biggest memories for me is breaking the scoring record at Blackburn. That is by far one of my biggest achievements in the game. I mean, to be able to do that, there was Alan Shearer coming after me who I thought might get it. Luckily, they sold him. I was very pleased about that. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> that was my biggest achievement, obviously. Um I just tried to, from when I started, when I first got in the first team at Blackburn, um, I just wanted to give people who's worked all week, Monday to Friday, no matter, after every club I played for, I always took the same view with me. They worked Monday to Friday to earn their money to go and have 90 minutes of entertainment on a Saturday afternoon. Hopefully they the, see the team win and, and they get some enjoyment out of it. They don't want to see the team lose every week, but they worked hard all week. They don't want to turn up and not see players giving 100%. I always try to give 100%. And after the game, I would always talk to the fans. I, I was very, very happy to talk to the fans after a game of football. So I think nowadays it's a lot different, the game is. But even in them days, you know, I'm not saying this was Wickham, but other clubs... The players would finish the game, then they've gone. They don't start. They might sign a few autographs. I was quite happy to hang around, have a pint of beer with them, sign the autographs, talk about the game, because they have worked hard all week, and that's what they wanted to do. And I just tried to bring enjoyment to all the f fans at the clubs I played at, and hopefully I did that. I think we can all agree that that was a lot of fun and you can learn more about Simon's remarkable career in his new autobiography, One Last Shot, which is available to buy now at simongarnerbook.co.uk. Right, guys, we've, 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 done the, we've done the smooth. Now let's get to the rough. Uh, Reading and Barnsley and, and a bit of a wider conversation about what has been a worrying dip in form. There's only one place to really start, though, and that is Tuesday night, the 90th minute. We all know what happened. Um, <laughs> who wants to who wants to go first here? What an absolute shit show is all I've got to say about it. Um, <clears throat> regardless of whether it's a foul or not, and we'll get on to that in a minute, <clears throat> Max's behaviour is completely and utterly unacceptable. Um, I showed it to Lockie this morning, who goes to Fab Goalkeeping Academy. And he turned around to me, bear in mind, he's the most staunch, biased Wickham fan you could ever possibly imagine. Being a goalkeeper, he loves Max. And he said to me, Daddy, what's he doing? The first thing we learn is to keep hold of the ball at all times. If a seven-year-old's picked up on that, on the first watch, there's something seriously wrong. Um, this is something that I've been picking up on for a few weeks now, just <clears throat> little mistakes creeping into his game. Um and look, he still made one or two good saves yesterday. 
Um, but that's his job, right? The minimum that you can expect of your goalkeeper is to do the basics properly and do them right and have respect for your teammates, your management team and your supporters. I think we can all agree that, you know, with the form that we've gone through and the results that we've had, actually coming away from there with a point would have been a cracking result. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll touch on some of the positives in a minute. Um, what's happened, I genuinely don't know. Look, we're all human. Um, we've all made mistakes at work. Um and Max is no different to that. However, these mistakes are becoming so severe and so frequent now that I think it needs to be dealt with. Um, a normal person in a run-of-the-mill job wouldn't get away with making mistakes that regularly that are having such catastrophic results. Um, and it needs to be dealt with, and it needs to be dealt with properly. Um, <clears throat> my opinion, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about this, weren't we? And Damo suggested taking him out for the FA Cup game and giving Franco a chance. Um, and back then, I think most of us were in agreement that actually that'd shoot his confidence to bits. But I think now, I think he's got yeah. to take him out of the firing line. Um, yeah. We're talking about, there's there's obviously an issue with confidence. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about a human being first things first here. Um, and whatever happens, his behaviour yesterday and the incident on Saturday were, were very, very, very uncharacteristic. And, you know, like if there's some mental health problems there or... Or if he's just suffering a bit of a crisis in confidence, take the guy out of the way. Um, give Franco an opportunity and go and let Max get his head straight. Um, it, it was an unbelievable event that, look, if it happens to anybody else, you're pissing yourself and on Twitter, aren't you? Let's be honest. We've all seen it 110 times this morning, tweeted and retweeted by anyone who's anyone in football. Um, I actually turned off and logged out of my Twitter this morning because I've seen it so many times. And then I turned Talk Sport on when I got in the car and I was talking about it on Talk Sport. You just can't get away from it. Um, and at any other club, you have a chuckle. You talk about it at work. When it's your club, it's embarrassing. Um, it just goes against everything that we as a football club stand up for. You know, the, the first thing that they do is that they get behind each other. Um, they support each other as a team. They work together as a team. And, and regardless of whether he was fouled or not, which I know we're going to touch on, um, that was utterly pathetic, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and it's really something that I think if Max were in the right headspace, he would have been coming out this morning with some sort of apology through the club's media channels. Um it is completely unacceptable. There was over 150 people yesterday that drove up there in pretty horrific traffic, pretty horrific weather, four weeks before Christmas during a cost of living crisis. Look, nobody goes out to do a bad job. Nobody goes out to deliberately make mistakes, but you've got to switch on. You have got to be committed to doing the basics right. And unfortunately, yesterday that didn't happen. Um, and I think as a result of that, it's kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back. He's got to be taken out the firing line for a bit, and he's got to understand that that isn't acceptable in a Wickham Wanderers shirt. The real problem we've got is that it's going to get the rest of the team down. You touched on it there a little bit, Adam. Um, the effort that they put in yesterday to try and get that point. I mean, we could have we could have got three points or two or three times where we had real good opportunities, but it's going to start getting to everyone if we're being missed. We're missing out on points due to individual errors. And unfortunately, in the last two games, it's been by one person. And I got shot down in flames when I suggested putting Branko in. But like you say, I think he's got to be given a chance this weekend. I really do. I think, Adam, you touched on a very salient point there about 
the fact that Max is a human. Um, the fact that yesterday he made a very stupid mistake. It was a fucking stupid mistake, but it was a mistake. He's not intentionally gone in and said, sod this football club, sod everyone that's turned up, 150 fans that have gone up to Barnsley. I'm just going to sabotage this game. That's not what he's done. The fact that there's even people insinuating there's match fixing going on can just get in the bin. Um, it's ridiculous. The fact is, this is the tip of his descent, if there is a tip of a descent, that started at Portsmouth away. And his confidence has just been knocked and knocked and knocked and knocked. And week on week, people are talking about his performances more and talking about his performances more. And the concerns that you've got is, is if you make a mistake as a goalkeeper, that essentially is more of a game-changing uh, factor than if, you know, for example, a midfielder or a striker made a mistake or, mis you know, mis mistimed a shot or whatever. Um, at this moment in time, we are at a situation where, well, we're at a critical point. Um, and, I mean, I, I deal in crisis communications and things like that. And the, the thing we always talk about is the fact that it's not necessarily the crisis itself, it's how you react to it. And we've got to think about that right now, is that how do Max and how do Matty react to it? Because if I'm looking at it from Max's perspective, his mistake is now being scrutinised on an international scale. And that's not an exaggeration. He is, his work is being scrutinised on an international scale. Now, the toll on anyone's mental health on that, based on your work performance, the stress levels must be absolutely huge. And do you know what? Yeah, I'm absolutely livid with it because, I mean, I was drive. well, I was in a car, a van, sorry, uh, driving five hours home from Glasgow last night, listening to what would have been a very tepid nil-nil good draw with a guy next to me who's a Hull City fan and they're winning 4-1 and he's absolutely bouncing off the bloody sides of the van. Um, so, you know, whereas I would have liked a draw, it's really frustrating that, you know, you hear all these mistakes in, in the last minute and, you know, I'm kind of glad I didn't go now, really. Um, but in, going back, I digress. Going back to the whole how you react to it, it's not just Max and how he reacts to it now because he's, you know, I I, I can see why he hasn't come out and apologised today because I would just shut myself away if something like that happened and it went to, the, to that point and I don't blame him. But he's got to realise that he has a confidence issue and Matt's got to realise that there's a confidence issue and they have to make a change. And for me, that change at the moment is go and get your headspace right, go and take some time away, and come back when you're right. We're fortunate enough that we've got someone in Franco who is obviously taking his chances whenever he's got it and, and can get in there and, and make a difference. Um, so we've got decent cover for now, which means that he, he really needs to go and sort himself out. But they've both got to realise that. And equally as fans, we've got to get behind him on that decision He's made a stupid mistake. Yes, be annoyed about it for a day, but forget about it, move on, and move on to the next game. Yeah, a lot of good points there, Dan. I think the biggest concern for me is that this is a this is a bigger thing with Max. Um, yeah, how many times have you ever seen how many times have you ever seen a goalkeeper on five yellow cards? Um, as fewer games as we are into the season. Admittedly, one of them in, is in the cup, four of them are in the league. Um, but Max seems to think that this shithousing for want of a better word is funny um and it's happened two or three times now and we've got away with it 
Um, you know, there was the error at, uh, it was Bolton at home, wasn't it? In the, on the Tuesday night, there was an error in that game. Um, I don't know. It was a really interesting interview with um, with Aaron Ramsdale, who's obviously going through a bit of a crisis at the moment at Arsenal, um, about concentration and concentrating for 90 minutes. I don't know whether that's Max kind of thinking that he has to engage with the game. Um, I think a lot of this, it's also going to be, it's not only important how Max deals with this and how he comes out the other side of it, but it's, it's important how the management deal with this. Somebody has got to put their arm yes. out and Max is stopped now. Mm. Um, we've, we've got to nip it in the bud. This can't carry on. Um, it's not once, it's not twice, it's not three times. We're now talking about six or eight major errors that are leading to goals. <clears throat> and he's already in double figures of, of major errors that are uh, that are leading to chances created. Now, I'm not a stat person. Um, we know that, Adam. But they are, they, are very, <laughs> they are very, very damning numbers. He has quite literally gone from being statistically, and I use my fingers as inverted commas because I hate stats, the best goalkeeper in the league to the worst goalkeeper in the league. Um, and that doesn't happen overnight. There is something deeper that has gone on. Um, and I think, you know, with all the other things that Bloom's blessing has had going on as a very, very experienced manager, he's really going to have his, um, his managerial ability and his strength tested again here, because I think it's going to take a really, really big call to say, Max, I'm taking you out. Um, and we're not just talking about one game for the Morecambe game. We're taking him out for as long as he needs to be taken out. Um, yeah. And that might mean that he doesn't play for us again for another 10 or 12 or 15 games. Take him out until he's got his head straight because there's clearly a deeper issue here. Um, there, there, there is absolutely... the guy. There, there's no doubt that the guy has laid two hands on him. But we've all met Max. He's six foot four. He's a giant of a man. Laying two hands on you does not make you fall to the floor like you've been shot. Um, I sent around an, uh, <clears throat> um, a video for, that Barnsley had tweeted out of all the different angles to you guys earlier. And some of the angles are <clears throat> truly embarrassing. Um, it's not even like he's he's been nudged, he's lost his balance and he's fallen over. He's dived, he's cheated. Um, and we've all seen Ronaldo, Neymar... Messi, Salah, etc., do it, and we've all slaughtered them for it. When it's one of our own, it's very, very difficult to come out and actually be honest. But all I can do is say it as I've seen it. And he's tried to con the referee there at a point where we're under pressure, we're in injury time. Um, he's tried to con the referee. It's as simple as that, and it hasn't worked. Straight thing for me on that one was I don't even know what he was trying to achieve because what would he get out of it if Max is excuse the pun there um, but what would he get out of it is is a free kick that would just be lumped up anyway and just literally ability. you would have the sa- you'd have the same outcomes I know it would probably eat up a bit more time but yeah, to be honest with you yeah, the way the game was going it, it was it was heading towards a nil-nil anyway really let's yep. be realistic um, as much as Barnsley had their chances it, it was heading that way um, it's the, his decision to do that is is, is down to poor decision making at the time, but that that just further kind of exaggerates the point that he needs he needs some support he need he needs help into the point of getting back into the rhythm that he had last season, and this is where 
I don't know. I don't I wouldn't say we're lacking it because I, I feel it's unfair on Matt and his team. But and I go, I'm going back and kind of lamenting the good old days. But there's a difference with Dobbo and his psychological focus that would put. You know, we had a sports psychologist, and I, you know, I've read Neil Harmon's book a few times, talking about the importance of that sports psychologist being in there throughout the season. I don't really think we have that to that level now that he actually probably could do with it at this time that might have kind of quelled that that problem in the past. And it, that's that's the shame for me at the moment is he, he really needs that, that level of support from the club and I really hope he gets it. They have a duty of care to their players at the end of the day, don't they? You know, if you do. Like what they happened do. to Lukey, you know, Lukey got smashed in the head and, you know, the club have got a duty of care to make sure he's cared for properly. If there is a bit of a mental health crisis, a bit of a conf- crisis of confidence, whatever you want to call it, um, then, you know, the club have got, a, have got a responsibility to make sure that that's dealt with properly. Um, but keep shoving him out in front of four or 5,000 people every week isn't the way of dealing with that now. I think we've got to yeah. the point where he's got to be, um, he's got to be taken out on the firing line. Sorry, I just, I think, I, I think it's important to make a point about the mental health side of things here is, is we're not kind of actually making a saying, oh, you know, Matt's got, uh, Matt, Max has got mental health problems here because we don't know. But from a confidence point of view, and as you said, Adam, putting him out in front of four or 5,000 people is going to knock him down to a point where he questions his decisions week in, week out. And we've seen that from the mistakes he's made. So when we're talking about, getting the help he needs it's not necessarily kind of you know laying on the sofa and kind of speaking to a therapist i think it is a case of actually 100%. working on building up his confidence and decision making making the better right decisions and cut out the shit housing it's, it's just I, no need for me i mean he's got caught out yesterday i do um, want to play to I, do, his game. I do want to play i want to play devil's advocate here um because I, and I completely agree. The thing that I was going to say is the shithousery has to die. And I think that, I think Max, you know, from, from what we know of him, very much kind of embraced a lot of the, the meme culture around the club and around our reputation. And, you know, with, with the gifts and with the, with the videos that were put out on social, you know, he's, he's one to have a laugh with the fans. That's one of the reasons why we love him. Right. But I think mm. he's just, Bought too much into this uh, into this kind of culture, and I don't think it served us very well. Um, I'm all yeah. I'm kind of embarrassed that in 2023, you know, we, we still have the same reputation, and you know, I, I see a lot of what Blooms is, you know, what what Blooms is trying to implement uh, in the way we play is 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 a designed kind of reaction to try and steer us away from that reputation. Um, but what we saw last night was just trying to waste time for the sake of eating up what five ten seconds of exactly. game time it's it's ridiculous yeah. and it's and it's a it's diminishing returns and we found that out the the most embarrassing way last night it's probably single-handedly the worst individual mistake uh since we've been in the football league since i've been watching the uh the team for sure um i i will say this though I mean, um, we've mentioned, we've met, we've talked about goalkeepers before, and we will probably talk about goalkeepers again going forward. It's just the way it is. But it's a very lonely position, you know. There's, there's eleven players. Mm-hmm. There's one goalkeeper, and and I absolutely agree. The I think for the Morecambe game for sure, like bench him for for one game, bench him for a couple of games maybe. But when in a situation like this. 
um, you know, how are you supposed to build your confidence back? How are you supposed to overcome? How are you supposed to come back into the light after a period of being in the dark? You're not going to do that by sitting on the bench. A goalkeeper needs to play. The worst thing you can do to a goalkeeper is bench him for a prolonged period of time. I mean, look, look what happened with uh, with Ramsdale. You know, period a prolonged period out of the side for no reason as well. He was actually performing really well. Uh, comes in to replace Raya for the Brentford game, and his confidence is shot. It's absolutely shot. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying you know bring him back in the next game that we possibly can. I'm not saying start him at Morecambe. He does need a couple of games out for sure. But he does need an opportunity to atone for the mistakes because mm. the greatest best stories come, you know, in, you know, watch, watch a Rocky movie, right? Why are Rocky movies so great? Because there's usually a really dark patch in the second act and in the third act there's triumph. He needs to be able to atone for this. It's It's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to him in his career maybe the most embarrassing thing that will ever happen to him in his career. Benching him for 15 games, I, I think, just compounds the situation. I think it's um, got to be for as long as he needs, doesn't it? As long as he needs, yeah, for you know, sure. But If, if he if, needs if 15, he... let him have 15. If he needs two, let him have two. It has yeah, to exactly. exactly. Kind of got to be a limit that, there's got to be a limit that doesn't detriment his, his confidence, though, because you just yeah. take him out for the sake of it. You can't just do but, that. And this is, this is, this is where Bloom's... And his team are going to earn their crust, though, because they know they yeah. can make that determination. And uh, and look, the one thing that I really liked about last night is, you know, you could tell Blooms was absolutely livid, but he obviously has a duty of care to his player and he's not throwing him under the bus in, you know, obviously he's disappointed. He's going to vocalise that. But we've seen in the past that lesser managers will play the blame game and they will, you know, in some cases, explicitly throw their player under the bus. We lost the game last night because of Max. There is no disputing it. There's no denying it. And it would have, you know, a lesser manager would have said, well, that's why we lost the game. But he didn't because he knows the the rebuilding process begins now. Um and it happened the minute Max stepped off that pitch. The rehabilitation begins. I do want to talk about the, was it a foul? Was it a not foul? We've, we've been teasing it and we need to get into it because um, it is it is a very, it's an interesting conversation to have. And I know that we've all got a lot of thoughts on it, but I want to read the official rules and, and word for word and what they state. Bear with. A goalkeeper could... The goalkeeper is considered to be in control of the ball with the hands when a ball between the hands or... Sorry, let me begin that again. The ball is between the hands or between the hand and any surface, e.g. ground, own body, or by touching it with any parts of the hands or arms, except if the ball rebounds from the goalkeeper or the goalkeeper has made a save. Two, holding the ball in the outstretched open hand. Three, bouncing it on the ground or throwing it in the air. A goalkeeper cannot be challenged by an opponent when in control of the ball of the hands. Now, did he throw himself to the ground? Absolutely. Did he lose control of the ball? Absolutely. But he lost control of the ball because he threw himself to the ground. But you can't say that the player didn't make contact, Cosgrove. Uh, he didn't. He made contact with him. So by the letter of the law, that is a challenge. Um, you will, you will see you, I mean, the, the thing is, and I am not disputing the fact that, that the, the goal deserved to be given, uh, it is a goal, not disputing it. I personally don't think it's a foul, but if you look at the letter of the law, if we have to follow these rules to the letter of the law, 
you will see this given in the upper echelons of the game. If you see that on match of the day in any of the games, this would be a foul. You see this in the championship, it'd be a foul. And the lack of consistency is my concern here. There's one factor that we haven't taken into account there, and that's Darren Drysdale. He was giving, he was, he was letting things go all night. And I honestly, which, which think is good, Max, which is good. I, I like it when refs yeah, let things I go. I think yeah. if Max may have stayed on his feet, he may have given him a foul. It's because he mm. threw himself. Darren Drysdale's going to go. Nah, I'm not giving that because mm. a, a couple of people threw, threw themselves during the game and didn't get anything, did they? I think it's because he threw himself that he didn't get the foul. I think he may have given a given him a foul there and then if he just stayed on his feet because maybe did run into him. You're right, but uh, yeah. I, I think the uh, referee played a big factor in that. If Ma- but if Max hadn't gone down, I think he would have got a foul. I'm actually glad that the referee is being consistent. And to be honest with you, <laughs> if I saw that, if I saw that in the Premier League, and I saw that given as a foul, I'd be absolutely booting off, no matter who it mm. was. It's a, it'd be a ridiculous decision. The fact is, at the end of it, yes, look, he's made contact. But if you think about it from a, like a corner, and then everyone's clearing out, if the keeper's got the ball. You'll get players that are barging into you. That's the same level of contact, and in some t- cases, it's a bit stronger. Cosgrove's mm. just gone up just to kind of put pressure on him to go, you know, stop pissing around with the ball on the floor, pick it up, and that's all he's done. He's just given him a little nudge. There's nothing to it. I mean, literally, it's, it's, there's there's nothing to it. The reason he's not giving it is because, as you said, he's thrown himself to the floor and he's dropped the ball in the process, so he's lost control yep. of the ball himself. He's done that entirely himself. There is absolutely no way in a million years that someone is six foot four and has built like a brick shithouse like he is, is going to fall to the ground from Sam Cosgrave. Yeah. It's, and that's why it's not a foul. And if it was, and to be honest with you, if it was the other way and it was given as a foul, I'd be going absolutely mental. If it was the other way, any, any way in which it was given, it is not a foul. Here's here's a question for you though. If 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 this was reversed, if this happened to anybody, if this happened to Barnsley. Yeah. Do you think that they would react? Do, yeah, do you think they'd react to it in the same way? I think so. I think I think if you look at anything last night, uh, uh, like uh, anyone looking at that decision last night can see it's not a foul. The le- it's the level of force that caused it's just it's just come up to him to tell him to hurry up the bloody ball. So throw your. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already been booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points at the death. Who doesn't love a last-minute winner. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee in terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Fell to the ground. And the difference is, is that one angle, and Adam mentioned it, it's the angle that Barnsley put up. It's the fir- very first one. If you watch it, where they're just behind, and you see the level of force and then the delayed reaction to the dive. Yeah, it's embarrassing. That's why it's not a yeah. foul. 
yeah. That's why it's not a foul. Just when I was watching it last night, I, I generally thought I could see the thought process and the delay. It, Max has thought about this for a millisecond, but you could see the delay in his thought yeah. process before he threw himself, and that's that's why it's embarrassing. Yeah, I'll tell you why it's not a foul. And what you're saying there, Michael, is um, is absolutely true. When the goalkeeper has the ball, you are not allowed to challenge the goalkeeper. But Cosgrave is not challenging the ball. He has got no, every single right to run up and hurry Max up and to put him under passive pressure. Um, he's run up to him. He's literally laid both hands on him. He's touched him. And Strieck's done that. What's gone through his mind, I do not know. Um, I would love to sit here and say it was a foul. I, I really thought that the uh, that the Pompey one on Max right at the end of the game, I thought that was a foul. And I had a, a lot of people yes. saying to me, no, it wasn't a foul. It wasn't a foul. You're being, you're being too that kind. You're being biased. Take your blue tinted glasses off. Um, I thought that was a foul. Last night was Max being a tosser. Um, and, and that is what it is. Um, and, and look, I think he and the management team have got to put their hands up and gone, look, it's, it's, plain stupidity and we got to do something about it stop making the wrong decisions that's 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 what it's what that's what it boils down to it's yeah, stop just that's, that's, stop, yeah, that's cheating. A shame. stop cheating yeah. it, it, it is cheating i'm calling him out on it now you know if if we had a striker who every time he went into the box and he got touched he went down it would start to it would start to grate on us and we'd be calling him out every week we'd be saying he's a great player he's got great pace he causes the opposition problems, but stop diving. And mm. what Max is doing is cheating. Just stop. I think, yeah. I mean, we've we've already recognised it um, during the last half an hour and, and on previous episodes. We we know just how good a player Max is, and uh, and hopefully Matt and the, the the rest of the coaching staff can can get him firing again for sure. Um, we have to remember though, um, you know, we, he's a human. He's a member of our team, and uh, hopefully he can bounce back from this. And, and w- whatever happens, uh, we will support him no matter what. But this is an absolute clangor and has to be recognised as such, you know, regardless of what the rules say. Um, it is interesting to, to go through the rules, though, I guess. But there we go. Um, let, let's move on from Max, because there's still plenty of other stuff to talk about, not just for, from the Barnsley game, but also we haven't even touched on uh, the Reading game from the weekend. I think the the overarching feeling and sentiment uh, from from all of us, you know, from, from, our, uh, from our group chat, has just been one of shock, horror, uh, just how tepid we've been and how passive we've become. We're toothless. We, I mean, one thing that we should bring up from the Tuesday game is defensively much better, much, much better. I mean, that that back three of uh, Farino, Taff and Lowe, that's a nice, that's our sweet spot. But, you know, we're, we're struggling to make chances. We're struggling to score. We're toothless. Um. What what have we learned over the last couple of games? And by extension, what have we learned over the course of the last two months since since this horrible, wretched run of form began? I think we've learned that we can still have the same old age-old problem we've had for years and years. We play teams who are lower than us or in worse form than us. 
we get dragged down to their level. It's not just this team. It's been working teams for decades. I don't know what it is. It's like a disease we have at home. We can't play against teams who are lower than us or worse form than us. Because we, we don't rise. Like A lot of teams will rise and they'll hammer this team. That Reading team, they were awful. Um, but yeah. we just we let them play. We let them into the game. They grew in confidence. And then they just defended for the rest of the game. But like you say, we were toothless up front. Uh, I think the fact that Dale Taylor got taken off at half-time showed that he was completely ineffective. I think, I mean, I mean I've, we've, we've been talking a lot about the Barnsley game, but I have just remembered how, uh, this doesn't happen to me very often, how furious I was after Saturday. Like, games rarely ruin my re- weekend, but the Reading game really, like, just wrecked my weekend. Um, we, we were talking about a side, rock bottom of the table. Uh, they, they hadn't, that's their first away win in over a year. That's their first away point of the season. And, you know, in hindsight, I think we would all agree. We were like, well, the game is just tailor-made for them to come and get something from. But I, going into it, I didn't want to think that that was going to happen. I thought that this was going to be our bounce-back game. And, you know, just to go down in that way. But to go down with really no perceived fight in there at all it was, it was, was the thing point, that it? really ruined it for me. Yeah, big time. Yeah, it was it was pathetic. Um, I'm going to do something that I don't do very often, and I'm going to make no apologies for it. Um, that I'm the biggest Matt Bloomfield supporter, um, and I am 100% backing him. But Saturday was on Blooms. Um, he got it wrong. Uh, they had three young, quick lads attacking. Started with Keo in defence who was just getting beat every single time somebody ran up, ran at him. Um, couldn't keep up with the game. I think that puts uncertainty in Max's head because he doesn't know whether he needs to come off his line, whether he needs to stay on his line. I think it puts uncertainty into everybody else's head. Um, we, If you look at all of their previous games, um, they've conceded late goals in both, ta- both halves. We touched on it last week. Didn't put them under any kind of pressure. Um, late on in the game or late in the first half. We should have started that game how we started against Fleetwood, with high tempo, attacking football. Um, I was getting really frustrated with Dale Taylor. And Michael, I know this winds you up. Coming deep, coming deep, coming oh, deep. Yeah. The only forward we got on the pitch, and he kept coming deep. I thought in he was going centre mid. Really in did. the second half, he, he took Taylor off and put Sadler on. At last, Taylor's gone off. And... Sadly, it came on and done exactly the same thing. That can only be the manager telling them that's what he wants them to do. Mm. Why on earth have we got the only forward playing as a 10? If you've got to play a 10, play somebody else there. Don't play your only forward there. Uh, you know, D- David Wheeler is a Swiss Army knife. He'll play anywhere. He'll give you 100% anywhere. He is not a striker. He's not a number nine. The problem we've had over the last few weeks is that we can't put the ball in the net. Why are we playing somebody who's not a number nine up front when we have a number nine? Um, you know, the the substitution at half time was fine, but change the formation. Get Sadlier up as high as you can possibly get him and get him running at people. Um, yeah, you know, how it wasn't picked up on that Keo was causing all kinds of and look, I, 
I give Keo a rough ride. He is a fantastic, experienced pro who we need at this football club to help the youngsters. He's a really good egg. He's got a great attitude. But in that kind of game, when we are playing against a side with three quick forwards or a quick forward and two quick wingers, he should not be anywhere near that pitch. Um, uh, even more frustrating is our uh, our inability to keep hold of the ball in midfield. And this wasn't just one or two players. This was absolutely everybody. Um, you know, the players who have been very, very good for us, Shaquillian Phillips, nine, 10, 11 times, gave the ball away in midfield, making a five, six yard pass. It's not acceptable. And there doesn't seem to be any repercussions when those mistakes happen. Mistakes are going to happen all over the pitch. We touched on that with Max. But that terrible kick from Max that um, that landed at the feet of an opponent, nobody reacted to it. Mm. Max literally stood there and watched him run at him. The back three were really, really square and put no challenge in whatsoever. And it's the easiest, most straightforward goal that Reading will score. It was... It was embarrassing, and it wasn't only embarrassing on the pitch, and I'm sorry to harp on about this, but the one opportunity we have where we've got over 7,000 people in that ground, mm. the whole day was a joke. The, we got there early because Littleham wanted to watch them, the Liverpool match in the bar. Some of the TVs weren't showing the Liverpool match. Um, they were, the, the bar was full at 10 past 12, and some of the TVs didn't have the Liverpool match on, so you couldn't see it. The ones that did have the Liverpool match on didn't have any commentary. Um, we asked him to change the telly over near us because there was about 30 people trying to watch the Liverpool game peering around a post. And they said, oh, no, we can't because we've lost the remote. Um, I had two beers. Both were warm. Both was flat. I went into the ground. I brought me a, a cup of tea, Lockie hot chocolate. Sat, sat down at my seat, watched the warm-up. The game started. We got served up what we got served up. You can't control what happens on the pitch. Half-time, went to buy another hot drink. They'd run out. After the game... We come out to the bar, uh, and Dame will tell you what it was like queuing up outside. They've got a new steward on the bar who was being a job's worth. <coughs> yeah, excuse me. And there was people queuing at the bar outside in the freezing cold for and twenty minutes. They closed minutes the tent the bar, and the they tent, the tent bar. There were for no there reason. Were, there were Wickham players who hadn't been involved in the game who were still coming in out an hour and a quarter after the game had finished, not being able to get out of the car park. It is embarrassing. We do, have do you know sort, what? We have to sort our shit out off the pitch. They are the things we can control. We mm. can't control what happens on the pitch. No football club can. You are not going to win all of your matches. You have to give people a positive match day experience. And I was embarrassed as a Wickham fan walking out there because I heard people who have said, oh, you know, this is the reason I stopped coming three or four years ago. I've waited 20 minutes outside the bar. I've now queued for half an hour inside the bar. I've been served up with a warm, flat pint, and it's cost me £5.50 or whatever it is. It's not good enough. If if I had, if if my dad had started taking me to, to Wickham now in 2022, 2023, I forgot what year we're in. If he'd started bringing me now, as opposed to back in, you know, back in the mid-90s when the match day experience was, you know, a bit more simple, but more robust and actually worked. If, if he started bringing me now, I wouldn't be a Wickham fan. No, I wouldn't because no, no one's going to, no one's going to keep going to this. You know, the results, the results are, yeah, there is, there is the performances are shit on the pitch. The experience is crap. It's not good enough. 
And the kids won't want to go, will they? The kids won't want no. to go. And, and I, I understand potentially, you know, oh, 7,000 people, that's a lot more than we're used to. So, I mean, but had, was there extra staff allocated? Staffing staffing issues are, are a thing. Um, but, but They've been screaming about it for a week, how many people are going to be there. They've got a supporters trust. Why not send an email out saying to people in the trust, is anybody able to help? We've got a shortage behind the bar. Yep. Yeah, and there'll be loads. There'll be hundreds of people on the trust who have got experience working behind a bar who can pull a pint. Even if you can't use the till, you have three trust members serving up the beer, and you have somebody taking money on the till. We've all been to away matches where, you know, before people come in, they pour a hundred pints or they pour twenty pints of this, twenty pints of that, twenty pints of this. So you're literally just handing people pints over. The disorganisation was embarrassing, and how you can run out of hot drinks on the coldest day of the year when there's 7,000 people there, I do not know. These aren't perishable items. We're not asking them to go out and buy 7,000 sausages that might go out of date the day after. These are things that they can chuck in a cupboard and they can use for the next year. It is embarrassing. And there's somebody down there who needs to take a really long, hard look at themselves in the mirror and say, I fucked that up. Exactly the same as Max. And they need to be dragged over the coals for it because I'm invested and Lockie's invested. You know, he loves going down and doing the sweets and he'll give the give the players sweets if they've lost 5-0 or 1-5-0. He doesn't care. He just loves it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of parents, like you say, who will just go, do you know what bollocks to this? I have to get there at 1 o'clock because I can't park. I have to leave either 10 minutes be- be- before the game finishes or I'm not getting home until half 6, 7 o'clock. I'm not taking them anymore. And it's not cheap. And it... It, it really, really, really makes my blood boil, the fact that not only were we really poor on the pitch, we were poor off it as well. And we have got to get our house in order because we're not going to get many opportunities to get crowds of seven, 8,000 people there. And it th- that was actually more frustrating than the performance on the pitch for me, was the absolute dross that the supporters got served up with off the pitch. I meant your words, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> That, you're exactly right. Uh, what frustrates me more is that I go to a lot of non-league as well, and I actually find it's probably sometimes match day. I know they're dealing with smaller numbers, but it's so much better run than it is, um, and so much more professionally run than it is when I go to Adams Park. I think the frustration is is that, and and I'm not knocking the trust in any way because it did a fantastic job, but it still feels like the club's very much volunteer run, and we're a professional league one club. We should be professionalising exactly what we do, you know we've known about the fact that Reading would be bringing the amount that they would do. We knew that, as you said, you knew that it was going to be 7,000 people. That's a 30% increase on what we usually get. That's not a substantial increase enough to be able to not be able to cope. Um, our threshold shouldn't be four and a half, five thousand 5,000 people a game. And, and that's that's our limit. That That's not how it works. The fact is we can hold up to nine, 10,000. You should have a contingency plan in place to be able to cope with up to 10,000 and go, right, if we have 10,000 people in, this is how much we need to order. And this is how much we, you know, how many people we need to bring in on the day. And there seems to be a sense of disorganization to the point where they just, they, they don't, they can't scale correctly. And that and that is a worry because as you say, people will not come back. Um, I've been crying out for months and months that a survey needs to be done to determine 
you know, what needs to be improved inside the ground from current fans and season ticket holders. Those are invested, as you say, Adam, on a weekly basis. But actually, you need to target those at the moment. We've got an opportunity in Ellsbury and Princess Risborough and up towards that way where MK Dons are doing shite. No one goes to their games. And we've got an opportunity to pick up on that fan base of fair weather fans who might, might or might not want to come. But if you take them to a game at the moment, they ain't going to want to come back and you lose that opportunity massively. So we need to get our shit in gear and we need to sort it out. But it's just, it's frustrating. I'm not, I'll I'll speak about on the pitch because I haven't had my opportunity to have my say about Reading and Barnsley yet. But off the pitch at the moment, just need to sort the shit out. It is poor. Um, it's, and it's embarrassing, especially when you go to away games. Like we went to Doncaster away a couple of seasons ago uh, when Anthony Stewart and Akin Fenwa scored. And the stuff they had for the kids two hours before the game, the access you had, the, the stuff you had there that you had going on for the away fans, the fact they had a, a way stu- uh, stu- uh, an away support liaison officer there to kind of talk about people, get feedback and everything else about how they can further improve it. Where's that shit for us? Where is that? It's not. It's it's poor. Because we're, we're, we're going to be facing clubs that are going to bring 1,800 a game. Your Boltons, your Derbys, your Reddins, your Charltons, your Portsmouths. You know, I could, I could probably name 12 or 13 times a season where they're, we're nearly going to sell that away end out with nearly 1,800 people. So that's going to increase our, our attendances by 30%. They need to get their shit in. Go. I, I've repeated myself three times, but they really do. They do. They do send they really out do. Uh, surveys every week, though, don't they? And I know yeah, people who respond. Uh, yeah, but I know people who responded, and they just just do bugger all about it. It's, they're wasting their time. They're wasting everyone's time who responds because there's nothing being done about it. Uh, it's as if they go, yeah, "Oh, we got the responses, and they just throw them in a bin." Joe, it, that's and that's the point. It needs to be done. On a semi-independent scale, this is where I feel that the trust potentially could get involved. Because if you've then got the trust, which owns still 10% of the club, still has a board position on there going, do you know what? We've listened to the we've listened to our supporters as a supporters trust. We have realized, you know, we realized they probably already know that these are the hygiene factors that are causing people to turn away from coming to games. This is the stuff you need to sort out and they need to use their position on the board to lobby them to go sort your shit out. That's what needs to be done because the the club can send out all these surveys they want. They mean fuck all. I mean, absolutely fuck all because they're not going to do anything with them because they'll take the surveys and said, yeah, well, you know, we've gained feedback from because they have to do it because there's the, um, the support satisfaction surveys that the EFL asks for now two or three times a year. It's all, it all feeds into that, but it's a tick box exercise at this point in time. It is. And I, and I would say, I, I would say that the, uh, the results of the surveys, the, the, I think that they're probably being more used to drive some positive spin. So, you know, yeah. you, you, you send, you send out a survey after a win and obviously people are, you know, psychologically more likely to give you a higher vote because we won, we won three nil, right. You know, uh, and, yeah. and then what they'll do is, is the club will come out on social or come out with a, with an email and say, oh, well, the fan appreciation index was 98% for this game. Well, of course it was because we bloody won and there were cups of tea at half time. Um, you're never going to see the club kind of post that after the Reading game where, where, where we've lost. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, we're never going to know, you know, what, what happens to, to that, that survey and how it's impacted, you know, on our, on our lesser games. 
you just you just don't know. Um, but I, I see it as being uh, the, the surveys are put out uh, as an opportunity to, to spin things and to try and generate some, you know, try and capitalize on people's positive experiences. It, it makes sense. But I think, I mean, from my experience, that a, a negative review is far more productive um, in, in, in many respects because the, that feedback you can use to to improve when when everyone's just saying oh it's really really good i had a really really good time you, you what can you do to improve that you learn nothing do you i mean no. the 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 whole point is it's not negativity as such it's more constructive criticism to go do you know what yes i enjoyed this aspect but this is where i feel if if you did more of this this is why i would come more and that's the difference and and you have if you have that power in numbers where you have consistently a decent enough cross section even if you surveyed 10 percent of the fan base that came that day and you got 40 percent of people said this then you know that is an issue that you need to address my concern is and i've noticed the change in narrative over the last couple of years is when rob and the team first came in it was all about enhancing the customer experience, bringing it more in line with what you would kind of expect from an American perspective and kind of making it one of the best experiences on a match day uh, possible. Now, obviously, longer-term aspirations have clearly changed and been quite vocally changed. And I don't know whether the fact that because the longer-term aspirations have changed, at the moment we are just at a status quo where nothing is going to go one way or the other well, probably only one way, which is down, um, until until that's rectified because there's a, the, they're not going to put the level of investment in the club to improve it because essentially it is a hygiene factor that is not going to contribute towards an increase in the value of the club. Can I? So there are there are a couple of things to highlight. There have been some attempts to improve uh, some of the facility stuff. Obviously, that was that's been mentioned in the past. The whole, you know, bringing in partnering up with uh, with Whiffaway, trying to improve, uh, you know, the the toilet facilities um, at Adams Park. So th- there have been some attempts to improve certain things. I mean, we've 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 switched caterers, and you know, the, obviously, I think the the. the the overall result at the moment is what's what's been done obviously isn't good enough and it's it's not really working one thing that i want to ask you guys though is i think that at least from my perspective i think that there's been an attempt to invest but to invest in the playing staff to 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 try and assemble a side that can realistically push on in the league and uh you know long term aim for promotion that's obviously that's always been rob's vision that's what he wants to do and we've mentioned you know he said it before in in the past many times it's a case of if you build it they will come do you think that what he's done is he's tried to build a team that performs not that they're doing at the moment he's he's put he's invested all the health you know the the majority of the money into the playing experience into the the on pitch stuff but that's come at the cost of really enhancing because because it is a balancing act right and and i wonder if and i i'm going to sound like the just the worst fan ever here but i'm just going to say it you know would you rather play mid table lower table league 2 football but know that you can get a coffee uh, at any time during the game what would you rather what would you rather have because i, I honestly don't right. think you can have both 
I don't think you you're hundred percent right. But my argument would be Rob quite vocally sat on Wickham Sound at the beginning of the season and said the budget that we had this year is the same as the budget that we had last year. So in theory, he hasn't increased the play. The, he hasn't increased the playing budget. Um, and there are benefits to making capital expenditures. So improving the the stadium, improving you know toilets, etc., etc., etc. But we're not asking him to to pump loads of money in. What we're asking him to do is go and get a load of temps or go and get a load of volunteers to serve behind the bar, um, so people can be fed quickly. Get your staff to do. Get the staff that they've paid for. By the way, they've already invested in the staff. Get them to do their bloody jobs properly. Somebody's, mm. If somebody's ordering twenty-seven cups of hot chocolate when there's going to be seven thousand people in the stadium, then it's wrong. Um, he's already invested in the staff and the management. You need just need to make the staff that you've invested in accountable for their behaviours and accountable for their areas of responsibility. We're not asking for the people that are working behind the bars to serve us a pint with jazz hands and interpretive dance to go here's your fantastic pint you know we're not asking them to do that i'd like we're to see that now for the, uh, well I'm, I'm expecting it the next home game more come on saturday but I, I, I we're asking for the basics and and the basics should be fine i look uh, with with longer term aspir the fact that there are short-term aspirations now to get the club sold and move on the the fastest way to do that is improving the playing squad to a point where you know put because people will come if if we are winning games you, you saw that towards the end of the playoff seasons uh a season with sunderland you know towards the end of the season we were getting seven eight thousand a game um so you know that is the quick fire way to get a few thousand people bums on seats in ground um <clears throat> but in terms of the hygiene factors and stuff it's not we're asking for the basics. It's it's just get the basics right. Um, if it, you know, if we, Adams obviously talked about his experience from Saturday. If he had a hot drink at half time, which is a basic ask. If you had things available, if you had fucking chips in the ground, it would go a very simple way to reducing that. M- much bigger level of discontent that people had from leaving the ground. So um, the family stand I mean, as well. People yeah. want hot drinks for their kids. You know, they want a hot chocolate for their kids. They want a bag of chips for their kids so they can stay warm. It's in a family stand. You know, we're not asking to 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 feed the terrace with beluga caviar. We're asking for some quite basic we things. Are. Warm that food, would be nice. warm drink in the family stand is it, it? It should be a staple. I'll be honest with you. You know, when it's minus all, one. Yeah, of all the grounds that I've been to, um, even in the away ends our food and drink offering is one of the worst. And I've never known, our food bars close after like 65 minutes. So if you want to drink on 66 minutes or your kid wants to drink on 66 minutes, you can't get one. It's very much a problem because I know Adam loves a drink on the 66th minute. So I would know. I would know. Lockie's even banned from getting up and having a wee in the middle of the game. He has a pre-match wee, a post-match wee, and a half-time wee. I would never get out of my seat during play. But you know what I mean? People are taking their kids for the first time or whatever. Um, Mm. You know, they're going in the ground. First of all, you get in there. You know, you have to get there early. You're going in the ground. You you go up to buy your kids some some chips, and you end up buying a a steak and gravy pie and mashed potato that's served in a cardboard, uh, cardboard bowl with a wooden fork that your kid's never going to be able to eat. Um, and then you go back at half-time, they've run out of food, they've run out of drink, and the only thing you can buy is a is a cold Fanta and a Yorkie or a Twix that's so hard you can't buy it into it because it's bloody frozen. 
Um, it, it it was just all a bit embarrassing. Look, we've we've massively digressed from from the football, which is probably a good thing to be perfectly honest. I know. With. I haven't even <laughs> talked about my Reading thoughts yeah. yet. I really hope I really hope the club listens to this and they don't think, oh God, this is a bunch of, of moaning old gits. We all want the best for the football club. <laughs> we all want us to be successful. We want the club to make money. Um, but there's some real silliness going on at the minute. And I don't know if it's a case of, you know, results are down, everybody's a bit down. You know, everybody's getting that vibe of slightly more negative than normal. But somebody just needs to go in there and just give everybody a really light kick up the ass and say, right, line in the sand. <clears throat> this is where we start. These are the basics. This is what we need. It shouldn't have to be done. Whoever's in charge of food and beverage should know how, how much you need to order every week. And there should always be a supply over over and above. But it, it, like you say, Dan, it is so basic, the stuff that we're asking for. And the, the, the reason we're talking about this is because we want the club to be successful and we want yeah. people to want to stay. But all I heard on Saturday was moaning about non-football stuff. And that was after probably the worst performance of the season. And and that's, uh, that is that is the reason why we've spent so long discussing off the pitch matters. Uh, Dan, I don't want to leave. I don't want to give you blue balls here. Uh, you, you have 60 seconds to sum up your feelings for Barnsley and Reading. Go. It was shit, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Two seconds done. <laughs> nah, look, Brilliant. Wait. So <laughs> the, um, the 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 concern I have is that despite Max's mistake last night, it was going to be a nil nil draw. We weren't going to score in a month of Sundays, and that is now a recurring theme for of quite a few of the games this season. My concern is at the moment is that we are going down that route of just not seeming to change things around we changed things around for Fleetwood I, I posted about yesterday that just said take me back to that Fleetwood way first half we changed it up a bit we changed it for the per- I know Fleetwood were doing shit at the time but we changed it to a point where we knew we were going to get the most of it and we did and we looked we looked like we could have scored six or seven in that first half and in fact we should have done since then we just haven't and we've not applied anything different and I don't think you can use injuries as an excuse Barnsley away last season it was Max's first game and goal and yes we had Alfie Mawson at the back with Chris but you had Dom Gape Nick Freeman in the middle of midfield Ali Alhamidi came on up top uh Vokes he was out injured I think I can't remember but we didn't re- we didn't have really too much up front either um if, if you look at the level of squad, if you even if you take out Potts last night, you know the fact that we've got Lyle Taylor coming on, who you know, I know he's been out for eighteen months, and Adam wants to um, tell him to fuck off and everything else, but you know he's still a championship level footballer that should be doing much better than he is. My concern is with it at the moment is the fact that I don't feel like we are getting the best out of our players. We don't know what the best out of our players is. And I'm, I'm going on a bit of a, like a massive tangent. A bit longer here, than 60 but, seconds, yep. But. Yeah, I'm really sorry, but <laughs> I, I really want to get this point across. I feel this is a bit like it, England's golden generation that was wasted in the fact that we had so much individual talent across all areas of the pitch, but we didn't know how to do how to get the best out of them. And I feel that's a very similar situation here. We didn't know how to get the best out of Brandon Hanlon. And when we did, he actually you know, put some great performances in. We don't know how, the, how to get the best out of um, Sam Vokes, but when he does, he's, he's, he's absolutely brilliant. But we don't seem to kind of keep that up. Um, one point I want to touch on was on that five-hour journey back last night, 
obviously the guy I was sat with was is a whole city fan. They had Ryan Allsop in goal last night. And I was like, how are you dealing with him in goal in championship? Because it was all right for us. But obviously when he went, we didn't really miss him too much because we had Stocko in goal. And he said, do you know what? It's it's because Liam Rossini really likes him, how he plays out from the back. And, you know, he's he's a real good part of our defence. And that's why we're, you know, not conceding many and we're doing well and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, well, did we not kind of sit down with Ryan and go, how do we get the best out of you? What, how do you like to play and kind of adapt? I know we've got a set style of play to look at, but we, we need to look at our players and go, how do you want to play this game? And, and, and yeah. apply to that and, and get the best out of our players. And we're not at the moment. And that's why we're not scoring. Yeah. That's, my, that's a, my two minutes. Sorry. And let's, let's also point out the fact that Rocky is starting over another former Wickham player, Matty Ingram. So, yeah. um, and, and, and is doing well and was doing well for, um, for Cardiff as well before he left the club. So, uh, right. Okay. Look, let's, like let's, let's move on. Let's try and get positive because we've got a game to preview this weekend back in the FA Cup, FA Cup second round. Uh, we got, we got Morecambe who, uh, who, who are enduring hard times of their own. In fact, I think their hard times have gone on for a whole lot longer, uh, than as have tough season last season, uh, relegated, Massive team clear out as well. Um, very indifferent start to life back in League Two. They're currently mid-table 12th. Uh, they've lost four in a row, including a 6-0 thrashing by Ryan Reynolds himself. Um, things are looking up potentially. Derek Adams is no longer their boss. They've hired a new manager on Monday. Um, so, so look, we're let's look at this potentially as a way to draw a line under what has been for the last two months. The one thing that I will say is Morecambe are probably absolutely looking to do the same thing. They've got kind of fresh new start vibes going on as well. But let's, let's focus. We can only focus on ourselves, okay? Now, we've talked an awful lot about off-pitch, but we've talked a little bit about on-pitch. With the players that we currently have fit and available, who do you want to see lining up on Saturday? And what do you want to see? from the boys come Saturday. I want to see that back three again. Um, yeah. I think they are the best we have. Um, Farino, Tafazoli, Lowe. Um, I think, look, we've got to make changes. We haven't been good enough. Um, we've, we've been harping on about this, but give the players who have been on the fringe an opportunity. Um, you know, your TJs, your sadly is personally, I think sadly is taking one step forward and, one, and two steps back, but you've got to give the guy an opportunity to, to try and at least, you know, get some form together. Um, TJ's given 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. It's, it's impossible to criticize somebody who just gets 10 minutes here and there. The kind of player that he is, you need at least 15, 20, even 25 minutes to get warm and, you know, get your legs moving. It's no good bringing him on for 10 minutes here and now. I want to see TJ start. Um, Lyle Taylor, for me, just isn't the answer. But if we've got him in a building, get him out on the pitch. Um, he, Boo! Yeah, he's, Boo. he's got to start for me. Um, and, and, you know, we've then got the, got the issue in goal. Um, for me, we've got to look at trying to get Franco in. Um, and just take Max out of the firing line. Do we see the return of JJ on Saturday, do you think? Playing left back? Yeah, playing left back, yeah. Possibly. 
Uh, JJ and Grim are either side of those three. I, I mean, I know. He's, no, I, I know I, JJ's. I, I, he's coming back like from, to, from being injured, though, isn't he? So I'd like, yeah, I'd like to see Jasper again on on the right on Saturday. I thought Jasper was. Uh, I thought Jasper played really well last night, and uh, I, I'm really pleased that Grim is back from injury. Uh, I know he was on Cocoms last night, so hopefully it's nothing too serious. Um, but I really like Jasper on right, and uh, he deserved his ten games that he got. And I was always a bit, I was a bit disappointed that they pulled him back out. So uh, I'd like to see him start. I'm not so sure on JJ um, on Jasper on, on the. Yeah. yeah, Jasper did really well last night. I've got to admit, he was one of the standout players on the pitch. But I don't think actually Harry Boys is actually suspended for Saturday, is it? Because it's cup game rather no. than league. Yeah. So he probably does play. I would much rather us take the same approach that we did with the Wimbledon game, but not with as many youngsters. Um, I keep the back three, as you said, Adam. I think we need to build up confidence with the back three there. Um, but we played with a bit of freedom on that Wimbledon game, and I, I'd like to see that here. I, I think, sadly, I had his best game for us against Wimbledon, and... I'd like to see him do more of that. I just yeah, it was against Wimbledon reserves. We've yeah. also got to remember the, the fringe lot... players have got a game on t- next Tuesday in the Pizza Cup, haven't they? There, were, so there was a lot of there was a lot of first team. Uh, first, there was a lot of first team players in the Wimbledon bar, in the Wimbledon's got Bar Alley and a couple of others, and we played a lot of youngsters as well with the Woodhouses, Clarks, Breckens, and and things like that. So start a stronger side, but take the same approach. Is my point not? You know, it's a cup game. Just go for it. Have a bit of fun. Get your confidence back. I mean, I I agree completely with you there, Dan. I do think that a large part of this is, you know, how on earth are we going to... Very similar to what I was saying with with Max. Like, how how are they going to get their confidence back if if they're not playing? Um, I do think that there's an opportunity for some rotation. I really want G-Mac to be given the weekend off. I love G-Mac. He absolutely runs his soul out. Like he did did on Tuesday night against Barnsley. Like he did against Reading. He really wanted to prove himself against Reading. And it was a real shame that we didn't get the result for him. I love him and I want him to protect himself. Um, I mean, put him on the bench for sure. Cause he's always, you know, I, I, we're, we're a better side when he's in the side, um, but try and rotate him out. But there, this needs to be the opportunity for some of our players to, to get a bit of confidence back. Now I've been critical um, of Dale Taylor, but we signed Dale Taylor for a reason. He showed against Fleetwood, just what he's capable of when we're playing an aggressive forward, high press. Uh, he's great. He's great. Is that only against the the lesser sides in the league? Who knows? No, we need more yeah. So, but I I just I want to see some of these players. Really, I want. Hopefully, they've got a fucking rocket up their asses right now because, and it's being made clear to them, particularly some of these low knees that they need to really step it up. And also, you know, to some of our players whose whose contracts are expiring this summer. You know, it's put up or shut up time. You know, and uh, some of our, you know, misperforming players, um, you know, march them out there on Saturday and and make them prove that they do have what it takes. Do we know about Potts for Saturday? How close to fitness he is? No. Not far no. away. I wouldn't have thought um, we'd silence. have risked him. I'm completely <laughs> honest. I, I, I wouldn't have thought we'd, we'd have risked him. Um, I saw him briefly on Saturday. Um and he said he should be fit, um, but obviously it depends if they want to risk him. Um, 
the interesting thing. Was I think actually, we have to if he's fit. Yeah, the interesting. We, we've thing, missed well, him big I, time. I, I don't think the way that he answered the question said to me that he doesn't expect to play. Um, I might be completely wrong. Obviously, I I only know the guy, the, the lad from saying hello to him and Lockie throwing Haribos at him every week. So it's not like he's my best mate. But um, but yeah, the way he answered the question just made me think mm, perhaps we won't see him on Saturday. Um, the the interesting thing coming out of um, out of Saturday was that Vokes, he reckons he he's only sort of a week or two away, um, which which is more positive than I think a lot of us were. We're expecting, so uh, so that's good news. I think it's always going to be difficult with with Wickham, with the club, because we're not, you know, we're not, we're in the habit of not really talking about our injury lists and and how long people are out for and and whatnot. You know, the the one thing that I'm really anxious about is is I want to know how's how's Luke doing, how's his recovery going, how long's he going to be out for? On Saturday before the game, actually, Um, yeah, and it was it was mega brief. Um, He said he was okay. He, He said it's obviously going to take some time. Yeah. Um, but he's recovering nicely, and obviously we've got a manager who's um, who's super strict with head injuries anyway. Understandably, by the way, I'm not moaning about that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I <coughs> excuse me, I think um, we're probably going to be looking at like Derby ish for um, for Lukey. Uh, Kane Vincent Young reckoned that he was going to be available, sort of Derby ish, Vokes before Derby. Um, didn't see Jason. Um, but yeah, there was certainly some positivity with the guys who who were injured um, and how quickly they're going to be coming back. So we might see a bit more competition for places going forward over the next week or so. We can uh, we can obviously definitely do uh, do with these uh, these players back as soon as possible. I mean, Luke in particular, I think you know we we've really missed Luke, uh, and I think you know his absence has uh, you know has, has dovetailed with uh, with some really shocking performances. So uh, yeah, hopefully. Hopefully, good news soon. Uh, look, let's jump right into it, guys. Uh, score predictions for Saturday. We know that we're gonna. It's gonna be a probably a heavily changed side. Uh, you know, we we know what to expect when you know we're playing Morecambe. Uh, it's it's not going to be easy. It's not a walkover, uh, but it's a good opportunity for us to kind of get uh, back into some sort of good spirit. So, what are we going score wise? Dan, go on, kick us off, mate. Five three. Sean Devine hat trick. It's gonna gonna happen one day. Are we just sticking with the five three until it happens? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. That's that's my prediction every week. (laughs) Adam, I'm uh, I'm still in that frame of mind where I'm um, I'm super negative after what's happened yesterday and what's happened on Saturday. Um, I can see us getting done in this. I really hope we don't, but I can see us getting done. I just think that there's a lot going on down there at the minute. Um, a lot of injuries, a lot of key people missing, um, a lot of negativity. Um, I can see us getting beat. I think. I think we'll go down one nil. I'm going the opposite way to that. Five one. Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, I love it, Damo. I I wish I could bottle up the enthusiasm. Um, I look. Look. Let's 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 be realistic. Uh, we're not gonna. Be, you know, we're not gonna go from what we are to to scoring five. Uh, it's gonna be a low score. Um, but I'm I'm optimistic that we can atone for some of these horrible performances. I mean, look. If we our league form has been just horrible. 
you know, since since the beginning of October. We are one one win in our last nine in, in the league. One win, three draws, five losses. We are second from bottom in the form table based off of our last six. It's really, really not good. However, our form in cups is decent. Um, so with that in mind, I'm going to go a 1-0 win. A nice, you know, and it's not going to be, it's not going to be good for the blood pressure at all. Let's let's be real. Um, Morecambe aren't going to be pushovers. Uh, their new manager, uh, obviously, they're going to be dead keen to 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 prove themselves as well. But I think that we should have what it takes. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Please, I want to talk about some good stuff next week, um, guys. Absolute pleasure as always, even though it's been long and fraught. But, uh, you know, we take the rough with the smooth, as we say. And that will do it for this week. Thanks for joining for another episode of the Heroes of HP12. If you haven't already, please subscribe on Spotify. And if you're loving the podcast, help us out by leaving a five star review. You can follow us on Twitter at Heroes of HP12. You can follow Adam at APCWWFC. Dan at Dan Clark PR and Damien at Damo1507. A big thanks again to our guest Simon Garner. If you don't follow him already on Twitter, you can follow him at Simon Garner10. We'll be back next week with more discussion on all things Chairboys, hopefully a bit more upbeat. Until then, stay well and come on you blues. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.